Take your Bibles with me this morning and open them back to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, the last passage of Luke, chapter 9. Come to verse 57. And while you're turning there, I just want to say, I know I've said it before, but I want to say it again, it is such a a joy for me to be with you, um, such a joy to worship with you and a privilege to interact with you, and my heart is thrilled when I when I get to see you come through the door. Um, doesn't matter what kind of week or weekend you have, when we come together as a family, uh, there's refreshment here. So I, I hope and pray that you feel the same way, and that just increases your worship and dedication to the Lord. Well, this morning we come to a hard truth. Let's just say that up front. Um, Hawkins, you're visiting back. You should have picked a better Sunday. This passage is difficult. The truths today are are difficult. They're hard to apply, hard to swallow, uh, and yet there is light at the end of the tunnel, I believe. This passage clarifies for us what it means to follow Jesus in true faith and in true discipleship on His terms. Now, we sometimes want to follow Christ on our terms, right? We sometimes want to follow Jesus as, as we think He should be followed and as we, as we define and, and, and in a way that we come up with. Today, Jesus dispels that with this encounter. And He sets the terms. He sets what's required. He sets the expectations. He sets the standard. And they are not low standards. They are all-in standards. And so this text clarifies for us what it means to follow the Lord in true faith and in true discipleship. And, and yet, while they're difficult, they can spur us on to wholehearted, joyful, delightful, fulfilling commitment to Christ. If we will take them as they're meant to be taken. If we live by them. What we will come to find is that you and I as individuals, we'll have the privilege of making an impact in this world for the kingdom and glory of God. Now that is enough for us to say, okay, let me focus in on the text. Let me listen to the words of Christ. Regardless how difficult they are, if I am truly born again, I want to make an impact for the kingdom of Christ and the glory of God, so I will do what it takes. Well, that's what we will find here. As difficult as these words of the Lord may be, they are enabling us and will help us to find the greatest joy and greatest satisfaction and greatest fulfillment and greatest purpose in life in furthering the agenda of Jesus. How many of us are stuck in a rut and in this curiosity of wondering, why am I here? What is my purpose in life? Why, why am I not finding satisfaction? Why am I not finding fulfillment? Let me tell you, it's found in walking with Christ in ministry. And Jesus today, as difficult as it may be, lays out what it means to walk with Him in ministry. To follow Him in faith and to follow Him in discipleship. And so we find not only a difficult text, but a life-giving text. Now there's three individuals we encounter in our text this morning, our passage. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. A familiar passage, you'll know 
most certainly. Three individuals here. Two of them express uh, a desire to follow Jesus on their own. One of them is called by the Lord and still is himself eager and willing to follow the Lord. However, all three are found to have some kind of hindrance that gets in their way to following Christ. And we will find ourselves in one, probably in all three individuals here. There are things in this life that prevent us from walking faithfully with the Lord. They are both heart issues and they are both practical issues. They're confused issues when things get out of alignment in our life. That's, that's what takes place with these three unnamed, unidentified individuals. But what we find is these things not only prevent them from walking with Christ, but according to Jesus, these things that they're dealing with that are getting in their way, according to Jesus, He won't allow them to follow Him if they're going to be in His way. Those are stern words. When we think of outreach and we think of evangelism and we think of Christianity and, and it should be inclusive. We want uh, people to hear the gospel message, but the reality is Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're following me by my standards and by my expectations and by what I say. And that's what we come to today. A stark and a bold realization that we do not get to define discipleship. We do not get to define what it means to follow Jesus. And we do not get to change the requirements. And we do not get to change the expectations. And it's the Lord Himself who sets the standard and expects us to conform to it. So you come to this text, and if you want to be a Christian, if you want to follow Christ faithfully and know the joy of following Christ faithfully, you can't say this passage isn't for you. You can't say that's too hard. You have to come into submission to the Lord's words. But it's here in submission to His words that we find both obedience and the great opportunity to bring delight to Jesus with our lives. So, it's a text that will change, can change, should change the way we view our faith and walking with Jesus. It's one that will challenge and encourage, I think, and hopefully motivate each and every one of us. And as we get into it, I do want to highlight here that regardless of the individual and regardless of the circumstance and, and regardless of the situation of all three of them, they, they differ slightly. Jesus never seems to lower the standard. He doesn't allow an excuse to come in. He doesn't change the expectation. It's, it's relatively firm. He doesn't lessen His message so as to try to reach more people, does He? He sticks to His guns. So let's look here in Luke chapter 9, verse 57, and we will learn of the truth of discipleship as defined by Christ, that He wants your complete and undivided devotion. Look in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. Luke reports and he says, As they were going along the road, someone said to Him, 
I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But that individual said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another one said to him, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Heavy words from the Lord. The first thing we look at as, a, as we consider true discipleship as defined by Jesus is found in verses 57 and 58, and it is that you have to know and believe that Jesus is the greater provision in life. Jesus is the greater provision in life. Or you could say, Jesus is enough. Now this is perhaps the most relevant and difficult um, saying in a more broad and general way for us today out of this passage because it directly addresses a wide-ranging problem among us who live in uh, this day and age in this place of the world. We struggle with, and and I say we in a general uh, humanity perspective, we struggle with what is known as materialism, right? And materialism is the overvaluing, the over... uh, need uh, the the necessity of or the um, overly loving of stuff possessions materials so when you overvalue something when you find yourself dependent upon something when you overly love something you are stuck in a materialistic mindset and we are people and we live among people of stuff right we've Discussed it before. Most of our homes are cluttered with junk. And junk that we haven't used in months. And if you're being honest, years. Yeah, Jerry knows. Jamie and I, I I don't think she's in here, so I'll say this. She can hear me. There's speakers everywhere. Jamie and I have boxes that we have not unpacked since we moved two years ago. And we've had those boxes packed since we graduated college several years ago. And we just, for some reason, keep carrying them with us place to place to place. We are a people of stuff. And we live among a people of stuff. And what contributes to that is we are... Uh, a rich people group in the world. We are wealthy individuals by the world standards. You may not be wealthy by your neighbor's standards, but we are all wealthy by the world's standards. And that wealth we use to purchase more stuff. In fact, I'll... Yeah, she's in the back there, but I'll share it again. We were going Friday down the road, and I saw a sign for garage sale and busted a UE right there. <laughs> Until I realized we have enough stuff. And so we didn't go to that garage sale. 
But that's a, a practical and even somewhat humorous example of, of really a serious condition that goes on within our hearts. We create, as, as a general people here, we create and keep in business big retailers, right? Because we like our stuff. And we spend a lifetime accumulating stuff. Now that's not inherently bad until that stuff begins to take precedence over godly matters. And when that stuff gets in the way of following Jesus. And that's the danger of materialism. Is that we can become so consumed with our stuff. This is nothing new to you. We can become so consumed with our stuff that we miss out on Christ. That it begins to become what? A distraction to us. And it begins to become a pursuit within our lifestyles. And then materialism becomes bad as it hinders us from following Jesus. Well, this individual, the first one that we encounter in verse 57, eagerly explains and, and proclaims to Christ and those around him, I will follow you wherever you go. It's really a, a brash and uninformed and even careless statement. He hasn't considered really exactly what he's saying. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Count the cost of following me. He's, he's made one of those foot-in-mouth kind of statements as well-intentioned as he may be. He makes it in ignorance. I've done that before. I used to work at a bank in high school. If you know how bad I am at math, you would wonder why a bank would ever hire me. And I worked as a teller in this bank, so I dealt with counting money all the time. One particular individual came up one day and he said, Hey, I know where you, you and your parents live. Do you mow that lot behind your house, a vacant lot? And I said, yeah, whoever owns it does not care to keep up with it at all. It's a mess. And so I'm trying to help. He said, well, I own it. And I said, you can do whatever you want. It's a beautiful piece of property. I'll mow for free for as long as, as you desire. It's a foot in mouth kind of moment. That's what this guy has, has done. Unintentionally so. I'll follow you wherever you go, even though I don't know what lies ahead and I don't know where you may be going, Jesus addresses that and says, you need to understand exactly what you're saying. And what he says is what essentially comes down to be, if you follow me, you may go without. And you may be found in need. And you may lack some things. And not just lack worldly luxuries, you may even lack human necessities. Jesus begins with lesser things here. In verse 58, He says, foxes and birds, those are lesser things compared to Him. They have homes. They have holes. They have nests. But the greater thing, the Son of Man, and by extension those who follow Him, has nowhere to lay his head. No place to rest and no place to call home. Now let's not limit the Lord's statement to just a house, right? He's getting at something much more significant than just owning a bed. 
He's saying that if you follow me, you may have to forego some things. And actually, it's a little bit more than that. You may be denied some things. If you follow me, you have to be willing to give up your comforts. That's, that's pretty heavy. He's not saying that you have to sell everything that you own. That's, that's the opposite version of the prosperity gospel. That to find favor with God, you have to be poor and broke and, and in need. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he's saying you may actually be denied things in your life. And not just denied things that you want. You may be actually denied things that you need. Like a place to rest and shelter and a place to call home. That's really what Christ is getting at because we know there are several instances where he, he did have a place where he could revisit on occasion and, and find a shelter and dwelling. Martha and Mary's house, Lazarus' house in Capernaum. He, he may have even owned his own home. He stayed with Peter at Capernaum and Peter's home. So it's not just that we're talking about, I have no place to, to sleep. I have no pillow for my head. It's that you may go without even what we would call basic human rights. Our brothers and sisters around the world are experiencing that church today. Every three weeks or so, we pray for a persecuted brother and sister around the world. And what often do we hear about their persecution? If they're not murdered, they may be denied something, right? They may be denied access to their children. They may be denied uh, social standing in their community. They may be denied their home. They may be denied property. They may be denied their job, their livelihood. They may not be able to buy groceries or other necessities in their community. And we get their prayer request and it says, help me figure out how to continue into tomorrow. If we're going to follow Christ, we may have to go without. And it may come down to life where we see that even the birds and the foxes and even the animals around us might be treated better than us. Might have more rights than us. Now that's certainly the heart of what Jesus is saying there in that passage. I think we could also perhaps bring another element or realm or, or meaning to this truth. That it's not just that you may go, forego your possessions and, and even your necessities and most certainly your luxuries. It may even be that you find no rest for your soul in this life. Because as difficult as it may be to lose things in this world, when you begin to follow Christ, you may begin to realize and you will begin to realize this world is not my home. And I have no place to lay my head for rest. In other words, when you follow Christ, you have to realize it's not just this bold and rash and uncalculated statement, I'll follow you wherever you go. Jesus says it's the reality that you will not be at home here. You're an alien now. You're a sojourner now. 
And though you may have a home, and though you may have a bed, and though you may have the necessities that you need, your soul doesn't find rest here. Instead, you find that now, when I follow Christ, I'm uneasy in this place. I'm a stranger here. My family and my friends and those around me and those in my society are going a vastly different direction than I am. And I'm now longing for a home that I've never been to. In a country that's far greater, that's right now only a promise and a hope for me. It may just not, not just be this materialistic issue. It may be a heart and a soul issue. You're uneasy in this place. Because Christ has promised you a better home. Either way, the reality is this. Following Jesus may not be comfortable. So if you are overly concerned about your comfort, you have to evaluate if you want to follow Jesus. Because it will require sacrifice. And it may bring about the loss of even basic necessities. And it most certainly will bring about the loss of worldly pleasures. In fact, we can say that this is so certain for those who would follow Christ that if you do not experience it to some degree, you either one, look too much like the world, or two, you're not following Christ at all. Because this is what the Lord says is going to happen of those who follow Him. You're so distinct and so separated from the world around you that you may lose your comforts. So followers, as we come down to the end of this point, followers have to count the cost. And they have to count the cost and see that Jesus is still worth it. Regardless how high the cost may be. Even if I lose my life, like many brothers and sisters throughout our church's history, even if I lose my life, Jesus is worth it. There is no greater treasure than Christ. So we can come to the statement of this first individual, I'll follow you wherever you go. And we can hear Jesus say, count the cost. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay your, His head. And we can respond and say, but you are still worth it. If I have to lose it all, you're still worth it. And it's at that point that we can come down and say this. Following Christ. And even specifically just to this point, if, if you're unwilling to lose your comforts to follow Christ, it is what? Primarily a heart issue. And if you're going to forsake all to follow Jesus, you have to know in the depths of your heart with clear conviction that there is no other satisfaction like Jesus. And there is no greater treasure than Jesus and there is no greater beauty, and there is no greater glory, and there is no greater 
joy and there is no greater hope and there is no greater fulfillment than belonging to Jesus. And when we begin to understand that in our hearts, albeit in, imperfectly, but when we begin to grow in that understanding in our hearts, we can say without a doubt, I will follow you wherever you go, even if this place is no longer my home and even if I have to forego my comforts because I know no greater satisfaction than you, Jesus. All these things are a heart issue as we begin to look at them. It's all a choice, isn't it? It's a choice to say, I know you, Jesus, are greater than anything this world could ever offer. Or, I'm still clinging on to this life. So, Jesus, in your mind, in your heart, if you're going to be a true disciple, Jesus has to be the greater provision. He has to be enough for you. Number 2, verses 59 and 60. Jesus must have priority in your life. Must have priority in your life. This is this next guy is an issue of priority. And let's be honest, we are notorious for getting our priorities out of whack. Right. This whole life, if you haven't realized it yet, and the rest of your life is going to be a constant struggle and a constant battle to keep your priorities correct. As Scripture tells us to. Keep them correct. You have to keep the important things in the place of importance and the less important things in the place of less importance. And that's an ongoing struggle for us all. That's a day-to-day, moment-by-moment, issue-by-issue struggle. The lesser things are always vying for the position of important things. And that struggle extends into every single area of your life. You'll have to fight fight it in your marriages, in your career. You'll have to fight it with your children, with your hobbies. Everywhere. And unfortunately, we know by experience that it even extends into our faith, right? Our walk and our relationship with Christ. We have to struggle and we have to fight and we have to war to keep Christ in the right place of priority in our hearts. And not let other things vie for His position. There are countless things vying. Even, even right now. Even in your mind, as you sing, and as you listen to God's Word preached, and as you go to Sunday school, those, those things that run through your mind, those, those uh, seemingly harmless and, and, and not a big deal distractions and thoughts of what I'm going to do later today, or what I did last night, or the test coming up this week, those aren't Harmless distractions, those are things vying for the attention that only Christ should have. And there are countless things constantly vying for that position. The cares of this life. Even the good things of this life, like family and and, um, income, which is necessary to live and Charity work, even and often unintentionally, take precedence over your relationship with Jesus. It is a complex and clear struggle. Well, that's the struggle of this second individual that we encounter here. This man is uh, called, unlike the other two, he's called by the Lord to follow him. Verse 59, the Lord says to him, follow me, but... 
this man says, I want to, but let me put a pause on it and first go do this. And what he wants to do is actually a noble task. Let me bury my father. Now, I'll just say this, because I think that's a a difficult um, phrase. I think what the exchange here in verses 59 and 60 is, is actually hard to interpret what exactly is going on. There is disagreement about what the man is asking to do. Some people say that the man's father has not yet died. And that's evidenced by the fact that he's with Jesus. If his father has died, he wouldn't be in this situation. He'd be burying his father. That's plausible. And so some say that he, his father hasn't really died. Really what he's saying to Jesus is, I, I want to wait till my father dies. Perhaps he's old, perhaps he's ill, and, and I want to get my inheritance and take care of those issues, and, and then I'll follow after you after all that takes place. The problem with that is that's somewhat speculation. The text doesn't say anything like that. So other people will say, well, here, yes, the, the, the man's father is indeed dead. Let's take it as a literal interpretation. And Jesus is really saying, I need to have precedence over important matters, even important matters like um, burying your father. Because during this time, burying your relatives, especially someone as close to you as a father or mother, was a... Uh, a pious, a, a religious mark. It was expected of Jews. And it was often expected to bury that very same day. They didn't embalm their dead. They needed to bury them quickly. And the Jews would have seen it as, as a task of honoring your mother and honoring your father by burying them and taking care of their, their death. That, that's also plausible. The problem, again, is the text doesn't say. This man just simply says, and really all we can glean from it with absolute certainty in my mind is that this man wants to follow Jesus, but something, even something good and noble like burying his father is going to delay him. And Jesus is not good with that. So regardless, the lesson is the same. And regardless, it is plain and it is simple. And it is this. Jesus and following after Him must take the highest priority in your life. Even over good and noble things. Because Jesus' answer here isn't, okay, go bury your father as, as good and noble as that may be. His answer is, let the dead bury their own dead As for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Other words, that's not going to work. Follow me, and I mean now. So there is nothing that takes place over Christ. That's the lesson we can take away. That's the mark of discipleship. That there is no thing that should cause Jesus to take a back seat. Not any cause, not any social expectation in your life or in your society. And that is a major struggle, but that's the reality. And here's the difficulty getting increased. It's not just that you may go without comforts, it's that you may even go without family. 
Jesus will not and cannot take a back seat to family or family duties. And as I was thinking about this, I thought about, and hopefully you're thinking about it too, Luke chapter 14. Let me read this passage. Verse 26. Jesus says again, he's addressing the the cost of discipleship. He says again, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, and yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it. Jesus is saying, count the cost if you want to follow me. Verse 29, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or, verse 31, What king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if he's not, while the other is yet still a far, a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. And then he summarizes it in verse 33 of Luke chapter 14. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. That church is a heavy, heavy word of Christ. And if we bring it back to Luke chapter 9. And even the context of that passage in Luke 14. If you are not willing to renounce and lower the priority of everything else in your life, including family, so that Christ can take the top priority, then you are not fit to follow Jesus. Now, let's be clear, that does not mean we neglect our normal responsibilities. That does not mean we neglect our families. That does not mean we dispose of our families and those responsibilities that Christ has given us. Instead, it means Jesus takes such precedence and such priority that everything else in our life, including our families, comes under the submission and control of Christ. And it is all viewed through the lens of glorifying Jesus. So however your family relationship needs to be tweaked, it needs to be tweaked so that in every way you would honor Christ with your family, with your life, with your responsibilities. This man was told by the Lord to leave somebody else to bury your father and instead you go proclaim the kingdom of God. The calling and the mission of Christ is more important. That same commission is given to us. Forsake whatever might fight for dominance in your life over Jesus and hold Jesus in the highest priority in your heart even over the good things. Thirdly, real quick, verses 61 and 62, the truth of discipleship is that Jesus gets undivided attention. Undivided devotion. A third man expresses um, eagerness to follow Christ and initiates this 
uh, again like the first man, and he even shows plans and willingness to do so. He says in verse 61, I will follow you, Lord, but, here's another request to delay, let me first say farewell to those at my home. Let me get my affairs in order. Take care of what needs to be taken care of and, and get my responsibilities delegated and, and say goodbye to my family and say goodbye to my, my um, friends and say goodbye to my livelihood and then I will follow you. In fact, when he says the word, let me first say farewell, let me say goodbye, that means I do indicate with that word to follow you. So I have total plans to do so. I'm not going to go back home and linger around too long. I'm not going to go back home and, and ignore my desire to follow you. No, I, I plan on doing so, but let me first do this. And just like the other two, that doesn't work. Jesus keeps the standard the same and the expectation the same. And He says, no one who looks back from the plow is worthy. He's referring here to a divided heart. No one with a heart that looks back and focuses on, on their former life can walk in the kingdom of God. A plowman cannot plow straight if he is constantly looking back. It's that simple. He needs to know where he's at. He needs to know where he's going. He needs to know where and when to turn. He needs to know that he's making a straight path and, and headed in the right direction to make a straight path. One time as, as a kid, my father was plowing one of our tracts of land. And he was looking back too long. And he had plowed it for years and years and years. Thought he knew what he was doing only to realize that he had been dragging the barbed wire fence for a couple hundred yards because he wasn't looking where he was going. His attention was divided. He was focused on what was behind him. Now there is some sense that that is necessary. If we take the Lord's analogy, you want to make sure your plow is still plowing at the proper depth and in the proper way and you haven't run over a dog or something or tore up your your plow in any way. There is a sense in needing to look back, just as there is with the Christian, a sense to look back and remember where God has brought you by His grace and what He's delivered you from that's part of our testimony and the witness of the goodness and loving and grace and kindness of Christ. But it's the heart that's divided, wanting to follow Christ and yet still wanting to be part of the world that is not fit for the kingdom. The heart that says, I still love my former way of life and I still love what, what I used to do is, is the heart that is not going to cut it. Jesus demands your undivided attention. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1, 2, and 3, we see that somewhat explained by Paul. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. 
we, to, we are to be a people who don't have an undivided heart and undivided attention. We are to be a people who focus on everything with an eternal perspective. Everything is viewed through the lens of Christ and everything is viewed through the lens of eternity with Christ. So your heart and your mind, your life, if you're going to follow Jesus, must be wholeheartedly invested and wholeheartedly committed to the eternal matters of Christ. Not so eternally focused that you forget the here and now. We're called to be responsible and we're called to love the lost around us that are still in this world. We're still living in this world, but all of those things are done through the lens of Jesus. So our drive now is not making money. Our drive now is the advancement of Christ. And our motivation now is not making a name for ourselves. Our motivation now is making a name for Christ and bringing glory to Christ. Right. And our hope and our future and our foresight is not on retirement. It's on people and their eternity with Christ. And our eternity with Christ. Don't look back. Plow straight ahead with the Lord. And bring everything of this life under the submission and control of Jesus. That is what is expected. There is no other way. We need to make this clear, church. Christ didn't come to enhance your heart. He came to conquer your heart. And He wants total control and total dominance and total rule and authority in your life. And that means not giving Him a a divided heart. That means giving Him an undivided heart sold out to Him. That is discipleship. Complete and wholehearted devotion. Now, let me wrap up by saying this. What a weighty, weighty passage. Because who in here that is not born again, which one of us doesn't want to follow Christ? And who, who of us doesn't want to obey Jesus? And who of us doesn't want to bring delight to Him through our obedience and our commitment to Him? We all do. And then we look at this text and we say, I can't keep that perfectly. If, if one of us are, raise your hand and I'll call you a rich young ruler. None of us have such commitment to Christ. So what's he getting at? He's getting, again, at your heart. Is your heart this way? Your practices, the way you carry this out in your life, can grow and increase and, and, and develop and become a discipline through the spiritual disciplines. But what about your heart? Is your heart treasuring Jesus enough to say, Lord, I do want to follow You wherever You go, and it is difficult for me. Help me to treasure You in such a way that I I will lay down all my comforts. Jesus, I love my children and my grandchildren to the depths of my heart as Your Word tells me to and as I know I should. Help me to place you as a higher priority than them in my life. Christ, I am burdened with guilt in my past 
And sometimes I am still enticed by this wicked flesh who will deliver me from this body of death. But Lord, help me to fix my eyes on you in eternity and not what I used to be. It's a matter of the heart, church. Is Christ working and ruling and molding and shaping your heart in such a way that you can begin to follow Christ according to this standard and according to the definition that He lays out. This is discipleship. And if this is how Christ defines discipleship, let me ask, are you a disciple? Now I do, as I was thinking about wrapping this up this morning, I do want to turn to one passage that I, I think will help us as we, uh, as we can honestly say this is difficult and can provide and bring about suffering in life, right? If you're persecuted like some of our brothers and sisters, I dare say most of us in here are not, but if you are persecuted to the place where you have no more comforts or, or necessities to live in this world and you're in desperate need, that's suffering. If you're breaking off family ties because they hate God and you cannot fellowship with them, that's suffering. And so Paul says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, whether it be the loss of family, the loss of possession, or the uneasy, unrestful uh, existence that I have in this world because I'm longing for heaven, I consider whatever they may be, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It's a difficult text, but it's a worth it text. It's a difficult text, but we can endure the difficulty of it because Christ knows our hearts and Christ is helping us accomplish it and we know what waits for us in eternity. Glory and joy of walking with Jesus. There is no greater joy. There is no greater call. I hope that you would find that the cost is little compared to the gain. As hard as it may be, the cost is little compared to the gain because we gain a ministry and a life with Jesus. There is nothing greater. Nothing greater. So in closing, I want to ask some personal questions of you. As defined by Jesus, can you say that you are following Jesus? Or do you have to say that you're still holding on to this world and this life? And then perhaps maybe more important after you answer those questions, what needs to happen in your life so that you can follow Jesus the way He calls us to? To forsake all, treasure Him, and trust Him. That's the cost of walking with Christ. Church, that is the freedom, liberty, joy, and fulfillment of walking with Christ. When these burdens of this life no longer weigh that heavy on us, and we are primarily consumed with Jesus, you are liberated to enjoy Christ forever. And I do consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that comes in heaven with Jesus.
And I hope, I hope we would be on board in an agreement as a church together with that. Lord, I do thank You that You have made a way for us to know You and walk with You. And God, You know so clearly, even better than we do, that none of us can perfectly follow You. But that's exactly what You had said before in Luke 9, that we are to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow You. Well, this is what it looks like, having to be willing to lose comforts and, and even less, lessen the good things in our life so that You'll have precedence and priority and, and to focus our hearts undividedly upon You. Lord, we need Your help and Your Spirit to help us to do that. We appeal to Your grace this morning to help us to do that. And we ask that You would work in our hearts to give us the desire to live in such a way. And we thank You that You do extend the call to us to follow You. Help us to treasure You in such a way and find such joy and fulfillment and completion in You that we would see and believe and know the cost is little compared to the gain. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.